Blog Talk Radio. joining us again today on A Better World. As those of you who listen with any regularity know, we seek to bring on to the show those people who we feel in different ways, in a number of different domains, uh, the contributions necessary to actually create and elevate ourselves to a better world for one and all. This is really for all of us, folks. We're all in this together. And we all need the stories, the comments, the philosophies, and the perspectives of our fellow brothers and sisters on the path, on the journey here. As you all know, I am a holistic psychotherapist and acupuncturist and have been dealing in this realm for several decades. And I've spread out into other realms having to do with the planet herself. And if you listen to the shows, you'll hear the breadth and depth of what we deal with here on A Better World. Please visit us at our website at www.abetterworld.tv and become part of A Better World's family. It's a community. And get the newsletter. Sign up for it and uh, become part of what it is we're doing here. We are on Blog Talk Radio every Wednesday night at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. And uh, please make a habit of joining us because we always have the most interesting topics and guests who inform my and all of our lives very richly. Today is no exception. In fact, today we are having what I'm calling a heart roundtable. We're approaching matters of the heart from two very different but very complementary perspectives. The first is Dr. Terry A. Gordon, who has written a book called No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight, uh, will be our guest for the first part of it. And I'll ask Dr. Gordon to stay on with us if he is able while I then speak with Rana Prince, who is the producer and filmmaker of a film called Sacred Journey of the Heart, which has to do with very much her own transformation from an early life of sex abuse to one later of self-empowerment and spiritual wisdom, connecting with indigenous teachings as well as more modern psychotherapeutic modalities that helped her get in touch with herself, accept reality as it was, and move on through forgiveness into, you know, one form or another of illuminated state. So uh, please join us and we'll have a very special time today, I assure you of that. Dr. Terry Gordon is a cardiologist, Cleveland Clinic trained cardiologist, who's been practicing within mainstream medicine for over 20 years. He was named the American Heart Association's National Physician of the Year in 2002. Terry is widely recognized in matters of the heart, and you will understand more shortly. He is currently spearheading a national campaign called the Josh Miller Hearts Act, which will place automated external defibrillators in every school in the country, protecting from sudden cardiac arrest our most precious resource, our children. Uh, 
And of course, the use of these extends to everyone. And Terry has a very unusual and special kind of story to tell of his own that he tells very touchingly in this book, No Storm Lasts Forever. Terry, are you are you there? I am, Mitchell. Thank you for including me in this special hour. Absolutely. I'm so glad to have you. Thank I you. really am. And uh, while your book managed to get to me only in the last moments, I'm sorry to say, I've spent enough time uh, reading about you and uh, those uh, aspects of your life that are just riveting. And I believe so important to someone interested in development and riding the waves of life that I'm I'm pleased and honored to have you on today as a guest. It's my honor. Thanks, Mitchell. Good, absolutely. If you would, Terry, please open up uh, to start with, with the story of your family and the way this road wended its way to the work that you're currently doing. Well, this was about three years ago, and my daughter, Maddie Rose, had come in from Chicago where she was teaching. And I was up in my office doing a little work, and, and she came into the office. And, and you know, it's a, a parent's sixth sense when you can kind of tell something's not quite right. There was yes. this heaviness dripping from her. And, and I said, well, what's up, sweetie? And she came around and plopped her, herself down at my feet and put her arms up on my knees. And she says, you know, Dad, I always thought the older I got – the more control I assumed over my life, the easier my life would become. And then with this heavy sigh, she said, but, you know, it's just not working out that way. And so I, I pulled her up into my arms, and I rocked her as I had for a number of years and mm. and thought for a long time because I knew what I was about to say to her would be important. And I shared with her, I said, you know, darling, I think that's the way it's supposed to be. I think if we are to progress on this path toward enlightenment, spiritual growth, maturation, we must face greater and greater obstacles. And I quoted her um, a quote from the Kabbalah, the ancient mystical text of Judaism, that says, mm -hmm. it's the falls of our life that provide us the energy to propel us onto a higher path. Mm. And I said, you know, sweetie, we really should be grateful for the crap that comes our way. <laughs> and I, I kissed her on the forehead and left it at that. Yeah. The next morning at 6.40, I received one of the worst phone calls a parent could get. The grave voice on the other end of the line shared with me that our son, Tyler, uh, had been involved in a near-fatal car accident, and he had shattered his neck. And then came the dreaded words, your son is quadriplegic. Well, you know, Mitchell, you worry about those sorts of phone calls. You fret when they don't come in when they're supposed oh. to. You can't, get, you can't imagine the impact oh. of those words when they hit you. Oh and I had gosh. about 20 seconds of denial, and mm. the doctor kicked in, and I knew where we were headed and what was going to happen. Well, they were getting ready to life flight him to uh, Denver from Durango, Colorado, where he yes. would undergo emergent surgery on, to stabilize his neck. And within an hour, I had hastily packed a bag and bolted from the house, speeding up to the Cleveland airport to try to get on an overbooked nonstop flight that would get me there in time to see my son before he was whisked into surgery. And somehow I got on that flight. I was like eighth or ninth in line. To oh. get in. And somehow I got a window seat. And I'm now like a caged cat. I'm now incommunicado. Yeah. I didn't know if Tyler was alive, dead, brain damaged, bleeding out from internal organ injury. I just oh. didn't know. And it was just God. a terribly frightening. I mean, the thoughts oh. were banging around in my head so loudly it was painful. It's an unbelievable state, Terry, actually. Oh, it, it was. It's hard it was. to even conceive what crazy. it would be like. I was crazy. Right? I really was. Yeah, And, and I felt like I was inside this tornado, <clears throat> and it was loud, and it was whooshing, and it was wet, and it was cold. And I, I looked down the funnel of this tornado, and it was just pure blackness. It was so frightening. And yeah. I remember saying over and over again, I can't do this. I can't do this. And gradually, that loud whooshing sound abated as I began oh. becoming enveloped in this cocoon of white noise, strand by strand. And I still mm. was saying, I can't do this. I can't yeah. do this. And and I can't tell you I heard the voice of God, but I heard the words very clearly. When God yeah. said, yes, you can. I said, no, I can't do this. I don't know how to oh. do this. And yeah. God said, Terry, just yesterday, 
You gave your daughter wise counsel. You shared with her the truth. You can talk the talk, but now you're going to have to live it. And I said, but, but I don't know how to do this. What, how do I do it? And then the most profound things were said to me. First of all, God said, remember, everything is in perfect order, even this. And then the most striking thing was when God said, treat this as if it was something you had chosen. Now, my first question was, why would I do that? Why, why would I choose a world? Right. What good could come from it? You know what? What could be? What possible good could be hidden in this turmoil? Yes. And th- these questions scrolled through my mind, but but I also found myself at a juncture, at a crossroad. I had a choice. I could either stay on this chaotic, painful, suffering path, yeah. or I could go down a totally new one, one that said there are no accidents. Everything is in perfect order. And even this, and 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 the the difficulty for me, Mitchell, was this: as I navigated the storm, the challenge was in adjusting my perception of these events enough mm-hmm. to recognize the presence of God within the experience. And in order to do that, I had to look way, way, way beyond what oh, my boy. mind wanted to judge as good oh, or bad. In short, what I'm actually gathering from you, Terry, is that you found that place of divinity inside yourself. Now, please understand, I am not saying that in some kind of glib, new-agey kind of way at all. I mean the truth when I say that, because it's only with the greatest gravity that one could even think that in a situation of this severity? Well, I, I found, Mitchell, that I had a choice. I could choose to resist this gift from God and suffer, or I could accept it as a gift Yes. and have peace. And, but that and not, shows wisdom, Dr. Gordon. Well, that I don't know what you call it. It, it. it sure helped me, I can tell you. I can tell you that. <laughs> yes. Well, I'm saying this, I'm enunciating it for the sake of our audience. (laughs) You know, that is the action of a wise man, to go from suffering and victim to this is, I am the author of this action. Mm. So please, go on. Well, you know, the, 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 the thing I came to appreciate was, you know, these gifts, they don't necessarily come enveloped in beautifully wrapped paper. You know, sometimes they're they're so disgustingly hideous that it's impossible to comprehend how it could ever be of benefit. But but you know, I, I, I what it enabled me to do is to have a foundation from which to help my family. You know, Tyler at the time was uh, almost 21. You know, a young strapping guy who yeah. everything that defined him was suddenly lost. Yeah. Um, as well as you know the impact on my wife and on my daughters and the family. And, was he and the youngest of your children? He yeah, he is. Yeah. He's he's the baby. Yeah. And, uh, and and the only son. And the only son. Um, and and you know I'm not going to tell you that this has been a fun journey. It, it hasn't. No, no. In many ways, no. you know, it's it's very painful, but it, it's also been a beautiful experience. And every time I say that, you know, in front of people, you know, I see their eyebrows raised. Yeah. How can this be a beautiful experience? It is a beautiful experience because I have been able to watch my son grow in ways he never ever would have otherwise. Mm. And 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 the same with me. You know, it's interesting because there are really two selves in each of us. There is uh-huh. there is the physical self based in the material plane, which is fractured. It's uh, fragmented. It's uh, mortal. It's uh, affected adversely by and irreversibly by disease and injury and, and even by our thoughts. There is another self. It's the authentic self, our spiritual self, that resides in a place of much higher consciousness. Mm. And, and what I've been able to find somehow is that yes. path to transcend from the material world, from the material experience, to that transcendent place where I can then passively observe. And I can watch Tyler without any judgment. I mean, certainly I, I have, you know, my ideas about how this should work, but it's it's not my journey. It's yeah. his. 
So in this other place, I can watch Tyler as he's going through this experience, and I can actually see him as he's progressing. I can watch my wife and my daughter. The weird thing, Mitchell, is I can watch myself from that place where I'm watching myself back there on the yeah. material plane as I yeah. am progressing. And it's it's a place yeah. of unfathomable peace. Mm. Mm. Now, I get drawn back down there, you know, because there are things Truly. in the material world that you have to take care of. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's terrible watching your son suffer this ocean of suffering. Of course. But, but of course. when I transcend to that other place, that suffering that my material self calls suffering isn't it's a gift it's a gift to transform to grow and you, mm. you know, cushy never promotes growth it's it yes. takes these these obstacles in our life these oh, this adversity in our life God. to get us to much like the kabbalah said it's the falls of our life yeah. it causes that's right to grow that's right that's yeah. right we are speaking with dr terry gordon the author of No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight, with a foreword by Dr. Wayne Dyer, who Wayne we had on the show, on the TV show actually, a couple of times, some years back. And uh, I always respect his point of view when it comes to good writing. And uh, this I see myself, and I completely corroborate, is a, a story for all time. It's it's sort of like a book that is written as a classic for our consciousness to grow. So I thank you for this. We are speaking about uh, his experience of his son who had a near-fatal car accident and the way in which Terry and his family have come to regard this experience and to do so from a point of view described in the Kabbalah as the importance of falls distinct from a cushy life because it's through those falls that what we may refer to as negative experiences as the most transformative in our lives. So I really appreciate all that you're saying. Tell me on the material plane, Terry, when you did arrive in Denver from the flight, that emergency flight, did you get to see Tyler before you uh he got the operation? I did. And how was I he did. now? You well, did. I, I, you got I was there able, just in time. I was able yeah. to see him and give him a kiss on the forehead and tell him that I loved him that, that uh yeah. Pops and was, was he there conscious? with him. He was. Yeah. He was. Uh you yeah. know and and despite his terrible neck injury there were no other injuries so there was no brain damage there were no other oh, that's interesting. It just he shattered. Speech is not impaired. Shattered. Not a bit. Not a bit. And he's got oh, this brilliant God. mind, the kid does. Oh, he really God, does. Yeah. But it was just, you know, he was so still. I mean, you're just watching him oh, and God. he can't move, couldn't move anything. And it was just heart-wrenching, as you can imagine. And yes. uh, those eight hours of emergency surgery were the longest eight hours of my life. But uh, he oh, made it through God, yes. uh, with the expertise of a skilled surgeon, uh, Dr. Ibrahim. Uh, who took great care of him, and then we were in. Who uh, actually did what? What did Doctor Ibrahim? Yes, uh, you know his neck looked like a bomb had gone off in it. There were bone fragments oh. everywhere. And, and in fact, I'll, oh, yeah. I'll I'll share with you on the plane trip there. Yeah, um, yeah. I was looking out the window, and it was just gray clouds, and I started seeing all these black speckles. And I thought it was you know kind of an optical illusion, you know, when you're looking yeah. at something kind of bright, and but they wouldn't mm-hmm. go away, and they they seemed to be increasing in in number and coalescing, if you will, and and then finally I forgot about it. But when I got to the hospital and the doctor asked me if I wanted to see the MRI, the father in me wanted to say no, the doctor in me said yes, and so I went yes. and knelt down next to the surgeon as he's scrolling through these pictures. Now the the normal spinal cord is white in color. And at the site of his injury, there were all these black speckles and agglutinated speckles. And it was just exactly what I'd seen yeah. on that trip. So I yeah. I suspect, although I haven't put a lot of thought into it, I suspect that that was the injury as it was progressing uh, yeah. on his way there. And you exactly, you had foresight mm-hmm. into an intuition about what was occurring. Mm-hmm. inside your son. Oh, my word. I'd like to ask you, Terry, 
does your son share with you and do the other members of your family share with you this i would say cabalistically heightened perspective <laughs> well let me start with my or wife. are you alone <laughs> no 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 my wife has been gently yes. trying to coax me onto this path for years and years and years oh my so word she, her name is angela no angela less. you're right you're right and dr ibrahim of course that's the name of Abraham, the father right. of the Jews. I that's wasn't right. lost on me, that's right. being of the same tribe myself. Right, <laughs> so, right. Yeah. Um, now, my, my son, you know, he was in a different place. Although I will tell you mm-hmm. this, he is a spirit, very spiritual guy. And God mm-hmm. loving Wayne Dyer, you know, for the first, uh, when we were in Denver for three months, he called every other day. Oh, and God. talk with Tyler on a couple of occasions. And, you know, his his yeah. message to Tyler has been, Tyler, you're so much more than your body. And uh-huh. it is so true. You know, the ego yeah. tells us that our body is very important, that what we look sure. like is important, how many ripples we have, how many Mercedes-Benz we drive. You know, those are <laughs> totally unimportant. But, um, yep. you know, to a 21-year-old kid, you can imagine everything That's that right. defined him being gone but but he's exactly. he's he's coming along he, he is you know it's, it's he is, at uh-huh. his own pace well it's now it. three years later is right. he living is he going to school is he living with you and we moved back actually? here in october of 2009 yes he's living here angela my wife and i are taking care of him and okay. um and no he's not going back to school uh although he has some great ideas of hopefully developing equipment for people who have disabilities. So, I see. you know, I, I think once you turn the focus away from yourself and the, yes. the victimization that we often go through when something seemingly bad happens to us, once you turn that sure. around and direct it toward others is when the, the healing begins. So I, I, yeah. I sense that he is heading in that direction. I understand, sure. Mm-hmm. It's- it's hard to imagine what it would be like to be in that body. And even though there is the distinction between body and spirit, our spirit is Im- embodied. Mm-hmm. And that's part of the whole picture, mm-hmm. that we are in body. And it's not to be treated lightly. And at the same time, as you're suggesting here, Terry, living for something bigger than ourselves, I have found as a therapist, is one of the most healing uh, perspectives we can have in all of life to be serving something that we feel is bigger than ourselves. It keeps us grasping. It wakes us up in the morning. We feel we're in touch with that part of our hearts that are all about service. Mm -hmm. So it sounds like he's beginning to turn that corner. It's interesting because in, in when I was uh, working very hard as a cardiologist and I'd come home and then I'd go volunteer, something, I remember, remember Tyler saying, yeah. Dad, you work too hard. Why don't you do something for yourself? And, and I made a comment to him, you know, son, my mantra in life is to give myself away every day. But uh-huh. what I found is that in doing so, I don't become depleted. I become invigorated. I become yes. rejuvenated. I become inspired. So it, it is. It's all about serving Beautiful others, point. and uh, and exactly. you get so much out of it, yeah. And you as a cardiologist, it's so interesting of all professions that you would be a cardiologist, which in the medical uh, perspective, Terry, as you so well know, better than most, it's all about the physical heart and the circulatory system, mm-hmm. when in fact it sounds like your whole life is about elevating our perspective on what the heart really is yes of course it's the material organ but it is so much more than that and you've been given this extraordinary opportunity to really connect to that i I have because you know i came out of the world famous cleveland clinic thinking i could cure anybody and and it wasn't until about 10 years into my practice that i realized i wasn't curing anybody I was a conduit. I was a, a tool for the divine to use to help in the healing process. But yeah. the healing process doesn't happen on the material plane. The healing yeah. process occurs in that transcendent place I was describing earlier. That's yeah. where healing yeah. comes. Yeah. And and you know I I, I had this this perspective, and I'm not sure what Rana is going to be um, 
talking about, but but yes, this perspective that I have is that what happens to us is really immaterial. It's uh-huh. what it's what we do with it. And I'll give yes, you an example. Indeed. My father died in horrific death from uh, pancreas from uh, prostate cancer, uh-huh. and I experienced that. My children never met my father, and they knew uh-huh. he died, but they didn't know what he died of. Uh-huh. The important part of that disease was how dad handled it. It could have been a stroke that caused the problem. It could have been a heart attack. It could have been sudden death. Yeah. It could have been cold. Right. So what happens to us really is not all that important because, as you just mentioned, we are spiritual beings having only a temporary human experience, and that disease exactly. is a human experience. It's what our spiritual growth what occurs as a result of whatever gift we've been given. Exactly, exactly. And that's, that's how does one emphasize that? We're so locked into the content of our lives, mm-hmm. and rarely do we see that the entire game is played out through our perception of what this life is all about. Precisely. You know? Precisely. So, You've yeah, hit the nail on the head right there. Yeah. I so appreciate all that you're saying here very much, Terry. I'd like to turn our attention while, you know, sending great blessings to your son and Angela and your whole family uh, for going through this because I feel that you're also all going through this somehow in service to all of humanity because we get to hear your story and the way you experienced it and the way you perceived it, the way you process it. And i got to tell you, that is such a gift to all of us. Thank you. It really is. From one heart to another, if I may. Sure. Now, uh, to turn our attention for a few minutes here to this particular program and project that you are spearheading that I spoke of at the top of the show. By the way, this is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. We are spending the uh, show in a roundtable on the heart, and we've begun and are still continuing with Dr. Terry A. Gordon, who has written a wonderful book, I would certainly suggest you pick it up, called No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight, with a foreword by Dr. Wayne Dyer. And soon we'll have Ronna Prince on, uh, if she finds the phone number to call in, uh, who is a filmmaker and producer of a film called Sacred Journey of the Heart. So, Terry, you are now spearheading this very interesting national campaign to uh, pass national legislation on this thing called the Josh Miller Hearts Act. Could you tell us about that? Well, Josh Miller was a 15-year-old high school football player from our community who one Mm -hmm. Friday night about 12 years ago ran off the football field and he collapsed. And in front of his teammates and in front of his friends and sadly in front of his parents, he died. He died of a cardiac arrest. Now, kids aren't supposed to do that. I had the unfortunate experience of watching the videotape of Josh's death. And it was the most sickening thing, Mitchell, I've ever seen in my life. In that normally boisterous stadium... You could hear a pin drop except for the wail of his mother. And so I came up with this idea. I was then president of our local chapter, the American Heart Association. And I came up with this idea that, you know what, we weren't going to let this happen again in our community. And I went about and we raised $200,000 to put AEDs, automated external defibrillators. These are devices that are voice activated. They tell you what to do. Anybody can do this and use it. It, it, It's just foolproof. Um, So we put them in all the junior high schools and high schools. And then I thought, well, why stop with this county? What about the next county or or another Mm. county? And and ultimately it culminated in um, the uh, state legislature of Ohio granting us $5 million. When I say us, the hospital I worked at was the the administrator of this program. And we ended up putting 4,470 defibrillators in schools throughout the state of Ohio. We trained 15,000 people in the use of CPR and the AED. We aligned them with their local paramedics and 911 service. And this was completely free to the schools, okay? We actually mirrored it. We plagiarized a little bit. 
there was a program in the state of New York that was the benchmark at the time. It was called the Lewis the Lewis Law, and it was uh, Lewis Acampora who uh, was struck in the chest by a lacrosse ball and had a cardiac arrest in front of his parents. And they passed the law, I think it was uh, Governor Pataki, if I'm pronouncing it correctly, mm-hmm. that signed it into law that every high school in the state of New York had to have an AED. We expanded on that program to include every school, K through 12, public, private, parochial. And the beauty of the program is that we've already had at least 15 saves. The very day that we completed the Ohio initiative, I got a call from our U.S. Congresswoman, Betty Sutton, who asked if I thought we could do it on a national level. And I responded, no, ma'am, I don't think we can. And I remember her her disappointment in the in her voice. That doesn't said, sound like you, though, Joe. She said, You're oh, a big why? thinker. <laughs> well, she said, why? And I said, well, I don't think we can. I know we can. Can we? And, and the, <laughs> oh. No, I knew we can. And, and what I was practicing, Mitchell, I didn't realize. Okay. I was practicing the power, of, the, the power of intention. Wayne yeah. Dyer has a book called The Power of Intention. It's right. when you see it as already being. And I saw this program as already being. All we had to do is put the pieces together to get to it. And within six months, she grabbed the baton from me and bolted, got this thing passed through the uh, U.S. House of Representatives unanimously, but it didn't make it through the Senate. She proposed it again, didn't make it through the Senate. Now it's proposed for the third time on the U.S. House of Representatives floor and in the Senate by Sherrod Brown, who is our U.S. Senator, the travesty yep. is this. Since the national bill first passed the U.S. House of Representatives in 2008, 206 children have died of a cardiac arrest in our schools. Needlessly. Oh 206 oh. kids. And this will nauseate you, Mitchell. Yeah. If you go and walk through the halls of Congress, through the offices of our senators and House of Representatives, guess what they have hanging on the walls? The defibrillators. AEDs everywhere. Oh, my everywhere. God. So while they're protected, yes. our children, our most precious resource, is, you know, we're really fighting a war. You know, you remember a number of years ago when there was this outrage. We were sending our our soldiers into Iraq with inadequate yes. equipment. Of we're course. doing the same thing with our kids. We're sending them out onto the ball fields, the basketball courts, the soccer fields, with inadequate equipment, with the one piece of equipment that could save their life if they happen to have a cardiac arrest. And every six days, a child dies of a cardiac arrest in America. Every Every six days. Every six days. And that's probably an underestimate because there's no real good registry following this. But it's, 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 I see the bill. It's already there. It's just, yeah. you know, it's like that. It is that, done. It is. It's like a, it a jigsaw done. puzzle. You know, you see the picture Definitely. of the jigsaw puzzle. You know what it looks like. Yep. It's just a matter of putting the pieces right. together in order to, to manifest it. So it's that's like where we are. It's like when Mozart wrote his music. He saw it, or Beethoven, they saw the whole thing in right. their minds. Precisely. And hearts. And then materially wrote it down afterwards. Mm-hmm. It comes into the material plane last. Mm-hmm. But you have seen it on the level on which it first occurs. Exactly. So you have oh, to see it God in mind first, right? Yes, right. indeed, indeed. I so appreciate, I so appreciate the work you're doing. It's well, thank so you. excellent. Thank you. Now I believe we have Rana on the line with us. Rana, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Excellent. Welcome. Uh, Would you, Terry, be able to stay with us, or do you have to run off? I can for for just a short while, but I'd be happy to. Okay, fine. Thank you. Hi, Rana. Anytime you need to go. Hi. Rana Terry and Terry Rana, good to introduce you. Uh, We are convening here a a heart roundtable, and we are approaching the subject of the heart from two very different, but as I said at the beginning, wholly complementary places. And we have just spent the first part of the show with Dr. Terry Gordon, who is the author of No Storm Lasts Forever, Transforming Suffering into Insight. You are listening to Mitchell J. Rabin on A Better World. We are here every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Daylight Time. So please join us. Visit us on our website, 
abetterworld.tv and become part of a better world's family. We welcome you. So now we are going to pick up with Rana Prince, who is a filmmaker and producer, and she's also very interestingly the founder of something called Modern Mastery, a program designed to facilitate deep heart-based transformation. And she is also a radical forgiveness coach, licensed heart math provider. Interesting. I didn't know they had licensed <laughs> providers, but I'm glad to know. I've yep. known about heart math from its beginning, so I'm very yep. glad. And yeah. she is an intuitive counselor. Rana Prince leads workshops on holistic wellness and guides tours to sacred sites around the world. She is the co-producer of this film, the main subject of today's conversation and roundtable, Sacred Journey of the Heart. So welcome, and by the way, I should say, it is not even available yet, but it will be available on DVD November 11th. So Rana, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me today. Absolutely, it's a pleasure. Now, are you going to be doing a theatrical release as well? We have on uh, October 19th our world premiere uh, theatrical screening in Scottsdale, Arizona, which is my hometown at Harkins Camelview 5, and I'm happy to say that world premiere is already sold out in a 450-person theater auditorium oh. they have, and, and that's yes. uh, very exciting as a first-time filmmaker to have this uh, this with knowledge in advance. I'm sold out, and uh, we're going to keep keep everything rolling and the buzz rolling. We have our cast and crew, including Greg Braden and uh, a number of other speakers, joining us for that 7 p.m., so there's a lot of excitement about our world premiere. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, I wish you the best of luck. I've, Greg Braden was on our show just a few weeks ago, and Joe Dispenza many years ago when uh, What the Bleep came out. And uh, you know, I love your I love your cast. It's uh, a lot of heartfelt and smart people. So yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yes, we do. Yeah. Uh -huh. So please, if you would share with us a little bit about what inspired you to uh, set out on this journey that you have, the sacred journey of the heart. You probably have been listening to at least some of what Terry has been sharing with us from his life that he put in part into this book. And uh, it's just so interesting the way this happened, um, thanks to Jill Mangino, who uh, quickly introduced both of you to me recently for mm -hmm. today's show. And uh, <clears throat> very interestingly, it ends up to be a subject both journeys of the heart. So I'd love to hear you speak about what it is that inspired you to move in this direction. Well, I love all the synchronicities that continue to happen with this project and, and really any project that's heart-centered. It's The universe comes yes. towards us rather than us having to run after it, which is a big part of the process that I teach. But two things in particular inspired me to make this film beginning three years ago. First of all, I wanted to contribute to a growing body of films on consciousness and transformation on a personal level, for example, What the Bleep and The Secret, I wanted to contribute to that because my clientele yeah. are primarily women in the midst of major life transformation. And I felt something was missing because we were all fans of uh, many of these new films coming out, but something was missing. And what I came to learn is what I knew all along, it was the heart. We need to connect the heart with the brain to get it to work in synchronicity, to get it to work in balance so that we can really um, modulate the emotions and our thoughts. We, we were working on affirmations and creating our reality by thoughts alone, and that just wasn't working. And we, when we bring the energy of the heart into it, things really started to change. And then secondly, yeah. my own healing journey was a very big inspiration because I knew I personally was missing something too. Given my uh, very difficult childhood, I had some more healing to do, and the whole film really gave me a chance to go much deeper into my own heart. Yes, of course. Well, I <clears throat> saw a good part of the film, and uh, it's very self-revelatory. It's very honest. It's very vulnerable, and it's very beautiful. And I just have to commend you for your um, speaking the truth from your heart of your experience. And um, clearly, your own experience as experiencing sexual abuse early in your life um, was a filter through which you looked at your life and you went through this powerful process of radical forgiveness 
uh, to come to this other place. And it's actually parallel very much to what Terry has been talking about, uh, this notion that we everything is in divine order. Nothing happens by accident. It's all by providence. And more better that we own it early rather than being the victim to it. Mm-hmm. And that that was a real turning point for me when I met Colin Tipping, and that was for me the last. Oh, tipping mis- point! That's very funny. Yes, yeah, the last and missing missing piece was this radical forgiveness because it, somehow, even with all the work I'd done in consciousness with uh, many of the leading thought. Uh, Luminaries. I was still, unbeknownst to myself, holding on to the fact that something bad had happened and I was unconsciously yeah. still victimized by it. And I think the world is ready for this message of that is rather sophisticated, that ultimately there's nothing to forgive because by divine providence I chose this path and it allows me to do what I am here to do today. It's a, I think the world is really ready to hear that now. Terry, what do you think about that? Well, I think we're on the same page, Rana. Um, yeah. <laughs> we, we've traveled there from uh, different paths and different journeys, but uh, um, I, I think I think we're on the same 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 path. Um, I, it, it's interesting because I think it was Gary Schwartz. Um, they did. Um, he, he wrote a book, The Afterlife Experiences, and he was talking about the connection between two people's EEGs and their EKGs, that the EEG from one patient was picked up on the uh, EKG of the other and vice versa. Mm. And he ca- they called it, I think, energy cardiology. And I, I think that's what Rana is, is, is touching on, that connection between people that the sharing of this heart brain information and and yeah. to truly understand and 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 decipher and come to a meaning of what it is that's happened to us and why I think you have to have to have that sharing. Yeah. That's that's exactly presented in the film that your heart if we were sitting in the same room your heart rate uh beat could be measured in my brain waves and mm-hmm. we talk about a fundamental tenet in the film is we are all deeply connected. Well, those of us in this realm know that and the scientists are now proving it and we bring in yes. this very unique element into the film which is indigenous tribal elders from around the world and they say, "Hey, we've known this for millennium and now you're just catching on to it, but we are connected not only to each other uh, and this is not symbolic, it's it's actual, but we're connected to earth in similar ways, a similar electromagnetic field the, the human heart has to Earth. So we integrate that into the film, the science, and yes. the spirituality of this interconnection. You really do. And I, I think that's one of the brilliant parts of the film, and I'm very glad you did it. Even though, you know, it's talking heads. The the heads are saying a lot of heartfelt things. And I think that's mm-hmm. what distinguishes it from a lot right. of others that are in the genre, if you don't right. mind my putting it that way. And well, I bringing, think that's accurate, yes. Yeah. <laughs> and HeartMath also, the HeartMath Institute, which I've known of pretty much since its inception, is a brilliant um, bringer together of the heart-mind idea, which is part of the ancient, Chinese indigenous wisdom. They don't even have a word for the brain the way we have it. They have the heart mind, and thinking takes place in the heart. And the Heart Math Institute helped to bring forward uh, the understanding that we've got about 40,000 neurons, neuroreceptor sites, in our heart. Mm-hmm. It's actually a thinking, autonomously thinking brain. So when the indigenous people say, think with your heart. There's actual physiological reality behind it. Right. Well, the heart right. has a mind of its own often. Doesn't it? That's what yeah. you just described, yeah. That's exactly right. As a cardiologist, do you come across that, Terry? I mean, in your work, is there any conversation among you and your colleagues regarding this? Very little. And, and I think yeah. the reason for that is, you know, most docs are so busy, they just don't have the time to do it. Or they choose not to. Uh, you know, yeah. I think that's one of the the things that's so missing in in, in medicine, and that is the connection yeah. with this spiritual the spiritual self. And um, yes. it's something that's sorely needed. Yeah, Rana, please go on. 
Um, I, I want to mention about the talking heads too, because this was a it, it, we we brought a lot of heart into it, a lot of beautiful imagery and personal Truly. vignettes of, of actual people. And then the funny thing was, I was going to be in my own film as a talking head, as just a spiritual teacher originally. I was not going to tell my personal story because I, you know, I mm. didn't, didn't want to bring that in into it. And this is yes. one of the reasons it took three years because after the initial uh, pieces of film came back from the editing booth, I looked at myself and I was this inanimate person with my mouth was moving and that was about it. I was way up in my head, and I was not in my heart at all. And so I said, wow, you know, I can't put a film out like this. I'm talking about love and compassion, and I I am just kind of frozen there on screen. And so that's when I went deeper into my own heart journey. And even though I've been through lots of therapy about my childhood of uh, sexual abuse, I was still holding on to this fear of being seen and with the camera lights coming on. I mean, talk about being sure. seen. So I had sure. to, you know, really de- uh, dive in and do some deep work, and so did everybody else in this project. Our, di- our director was diagnosed with cancer about halfway through, and he had oh, to go. Uh, and we had to take a hiatus. And so every oh. single person that has touched this this film has really gone through a profound transformation, and it's all about that synchron synchronized rhythm, the sine wave between the heart and the brain and allowing yeah. us the space to listen to the wisdom of our own hearts. Oh, yes. Oh, I'm so glad you shared this with me because when I first saw you in the film, what you just said really does portray mm-hmm. what your energy was. It was it was pleasant, but it was a little stiff and it was very heady if you don't mind my saying. And as the film progresses, you emerge. And, (laughs) you know, in a sense, it it was surprising the direction the film took to me because Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be more like the, you know, the secret, the what the bleep type of, you know, we all know many of them at this point. And and they're good. They really serve a fine purpose. I very much appreciate it. Um, But... Uh, you then brought in a curveball. And tell me what I'm referring to is that, and you're going to have to see it, but Rana begins to open up her own heart and actually shows images of herself as a child going through, you know, in some way the experience of the pain and the suffering that you went through. And then through that board game, you Mm -hmm. really come forward. So... It's yeah. like it becomes a path, as Carl Jung called it, the path of individuation. Your journey is really exemplified through the film. And it, and so, it in other words, it becomes narrative, mm-hmm. you know? Right, yeah. And it took a lot of courage to do that, and, and that's, again, part totally. of it three-year odyssey totally. because I was I was safe in my head. You know, I, I knew how to do that, but this whole diving into the emotions, and as Colin Tipping says, you can't heal what you don't feel. That was really about the last thing I wanted to do. I like these neat yeah. ideas that we create our reality from our mind, but I had so many of my clients mirroring back to me, this isn't working. We're in the midst of a really powerful transformation, and we need something else and something that works. And that's what we get to in the last part of the film, the tools and the teachings, step by step, how do we actually do this? And that comes from a number of people, such as Joe Dispenza and Mary Morrissey of Life Solutions. And I have my own process that I share called a 360-day, a 360-degree review. So it, it's really more than just telling people information. It's actually we get right down into it and say, here's how you do it. Diving in. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> right. Now, one of the beautiful uh, features of the film is that you really do take a look at indigenous teachings and indigenous wisdom and bring that forth because that has to do with our connection, needless to say, to earth herself, which is so really important. It's the, no pun intended, the ground of it all. Could you speak a little bit about the role you feel the indigenous wisdom plays in our current lives? Well, I think it's a reminder of of a continuum that their traditions are coming back around. We're honoring them so much more and that they are deeply heart-based, much more grounded, as you say, and connected to earth So, uh, and, and aware of what's happening on earth in such a balanced way. 
and we are yes. catching up with that that we you know it's not the I think therefore I am there's something deeper than that and for them it's just of course we're connected we've known that for so yeah. long and so we have the elder spokesperson for the Eskimos in Greenland and David Swallow of the Lakotas and a number of them just say you know very hopeful messages too I believe in it's a new day now I have hope for the future generations of the world and with what their peoples have come through for them to be on on this film saying we have hope for the future I think is such a an amazing message oh God, I couldn't agree with you more. And, you know, it really circles back, no pun intended, to something you said at the very beginning, Terry, about the Kabbalistic uh, theme of falling. And it's through our falls that we transform. And I would dare say the indigenous people have been watching the white people who arrived on Turtle Island fall. And we are in the middle of watching that fall right now of all of our most coveted sacred institutions, the institution of religion, the institution of the economy and banking, the institution of our body politic. Everything is crumbling before our eyes. And, you know, to continue the metaphor, the white man is seeing anew through his humbled position. Terry, do you have anything to say well, about that? I, I usually don't like to look backward, but rather look forward. But in this instance, I think it's very important to look backward. Because, yeah. you know, the, the, the avatars are sent to us all the time. And yes. usually once they deliver their message, people kind of forget it or they move on to a, a different one. So I, I think what Ron is describing, yeah. the, 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 the wisdom of the ages, if you will, in, in this circumstance, I think is... Yes. is so important because they, they have a different perspective on what we're experiencing now. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, remember that Obama said, let's look forward, not back. And it allowed for a lot of, uh, not to change the subject because it's, it's really part and parcel of the suffering I feel we're going through today. Uh, by not looking back and reflecting on our errors in the past and the prior administrations, uh, we are doomed to repeat the same errors unless they are seen and brought into the light of day. You know, reconciliation and forgiveness, God knows. But they cannot be buried without true consciousness. So I feel the indigenous people are coming forward in this way. I feel your film, Rana, is helping to give that voice. And, uh, oh, my word, <laughs> that's a voice that's been buried for a long time. Well, and I'm glad that some very important organizations are learning about my film right now. We were mentioned on the 30th annual International Peace Day on 921 by a woman who has been instrumental in uh, starting the whole Peace Day 30 years ago. Avon Madison of Pathways to Peace spoke on a panel on the 21st of September and said this film, Sacred Journey of the Heart, is an example of what people can do to create deeper personal peace as well as contribute to planetary peace. So I'm excited about that um, being included or mentioned at the United Nations because it really is, Definitely. from my viewpoint, it's a heart-based solutions that, yes, connect to ideas and thoughts, but it's the heart-based solutions that are going to be creating this change that we're all waiting for and we're all moving forward into and participating in. Mm -hmm. Beautifully put, and I agree with you a whole. Oh, this doesn't sound right, but wholeheartedly. <laughs> in fact, I was at the United Nations in 1993 when a good friend of mine, Betsy Sting, helped to convene uh, the meeting there that was in embedded in the Hopi prophecy of the Red Man coming to the House of Micah and knocking on the door. And they did their presentations with warnings and all about the future if we do not listen closely to the wisdom of the ages, as uh, Terry just said, and as the name of the book that Wayne had just finished, Wayne Dyer, when I interviewed him first. So it's funny, the interconnectedness of all things. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> and uh, here we are now listening, not at the United Nations exactly as such, but through your film, I feel, is a a very helpful, instructive vehicle for us all to tune into that wisdom. So I, I really want to thank you. 
for that. If you think about your film, what is the uh, essential theme that you would really like our audience to uh, be aware of when they go to see it after November 11th? Well, the central Unless theme they're is... Unless they're in Scottsdale. Uh, yeah, the 19th in Scottsdale and also Los Angeles uh, on this Friday, 10-12, as part of a film festival. Oh, and, great. Yeah, so the, the central theme really is heart-based empowerment. So that encompasses the topics of connection and compassion, but we have lots of nice things we say about peace and balance, but when we bring it into this energy of I am now empowered to create a different signal from my heart where I'm absolutely going to have a different connection with people uh, and here's how I do it. That's the central theme that I want people to take away, that heart-based empowerment, that's what leads to the change that we have been anticipating for so long and is right here. Beautiful, beautiful. And Terry, Gordon, in final words here, I so appreciate all of the contributions you've been making during this Heart Roundtable as well. What last thoughts would you like to leave with our audience? Well, you know, none of us is immune to suffering. And and this realm in which we find ourselves is the perfect circumstance in which we can approach what we all seek, and that's enlightenment. Uh, the pain and turmoil of this existence, things that cause us to suffer, are beautifully balanced by those things that bring us pleasure. And, and the, the key is to be able to focus on the beauty, even in the midst, even in the belly of the beast. Mm. So if you allow yourself to look around, you can focus on yeah. that beauty rather than on the turmoil. Mm-hmm. God bless. God, I, I too. feel And, and Ron, I really enjoyed listening yeah. to you. It's just, yeah. I, I can't wait to get the film. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Excellent. Thank you. That's great. Well, Rana, give your website, and then Terry Gordon, if you would do same. It is uh, sacredjourneyoftheheart.com, and you can see all about the cast and the film and the synopsis and find out where to view it. Excellent. And, and I would tell you to go to Rana's site first and then go to my <laughs> site. Uh, mine is uh, Dr. Terry Gordon. That's D-R-T-E-R-R-Y-Gordon.com. Wonderful. Well, I want to thank you both for being guests on today's show and uh, participating and giving so much of the heart in the Heart Roundtable. I so appreciate both of your work. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And we'll be in touch with both of you soon, okay? All right, thanks. Namaste. Namaste. Bye-bye now. Goodbye. This is Mitchell J. Raven for A Better World. Thanks so much for joining us. I hope you enjoyed that roundtable as much as I do. I feel heartened by it, truly heartened and uh, enlivened by the wisdom that uh, both of our guests today shared with us all. Remember to come to our website at www.abetterworld.tv. Sign up for our uh, newsletter, which goes out once a week. And we have all sorts of interesting things on our website. We've got a weekly TV show as well aired in Manhattan. And you can also watch it online from anywhere. So please join us. Also, let me make note that there is a special uh, breakthrough energy conference taking place just outside of Amsterdam in the Netherlands, uh, November 9th through 12th. I know some of you uh, are in Europe listening, and many of you, of course, are in the United States. However, it's just a hop and skip and jump across the pond to what will be an overwhelmingly interesting conference there about things that are very transformative to our planet, both inwardly and outwardly. So I'll be emceeing that conference in short order and moderating some panels Uh, helping to run it there. So please join us there. And you can go to my website for more information on that as well. Again, thanks so much for joining us. I love that you tune in. I so appreciate your attention here at A Better World. And I look forward to seeing you all next week.